Who you are attracted to is up to you and it does not define you. Whenever I think about this, I think about Audre Lorde saying, it's really not so much the oppressive situations that we seek to escape, but it's the little piece of the oppressor which is planted deep within each of us. Brought to you by Sexpo, proudly sponsoring FBI Radio. Amazing. And in the studio with me right now, I have the amazing Tanya Coons, our resident sexologist, pleasure activist, and relationship therapist. And we are going to be talking about compulsory heterosexuality. Tanya, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you. This is another meaty topic, Lucky. Are you ready to get deep? I am very ready. And I must <laughs> admit, I, I'm reading some of the content beforehand. It's been amazing. I've learned a lot already, so I'm excited to Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. I love that we can sort of be thoughtful about terms and things that we hear thrown around and then we get a chance to take a a little bit of a deep dive on the radio and get people thinking differently. 100%. Well, I mean, it's our pleasure having had you on (laughs) for four years, so let's keep it running. So I guess to start it off with, for the listeners out there, what is compulsory heterosexuality? Okay. So you might have heard this shortened. It's often shortened to comphet these days or sometimes comp cishet. But it's the theory that heterosexuality is assumed and enforced upon people by a patriarchal and heteronormative society. So there are a lot of big words. But what it means is, uh, oh, I just say, we want to give a tip our hat to who the person who popularized it, which is Adrienne Rich. She wrote an essay in 1980 entitled Compulsory Heterosexuality and the Lesbian Experience. But she was actually writing to get uh, heterosexual women to think again about heterosexuality and having it enforced mm. on them. So this is something that affects every gender, but it's mostly been studied as affecting women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is because it kind of easily ties into things like misogyny that causes women's sexualities and identities to be defined mm-hmm. by their relationships with men. And if you think about it, women are taught from a really early age Mm. that making men happy is their job, right? They're supposed to be pretty for men. They're supposed to change the way they talk to men so that men will take them more seriously. Mm. And they're supposed to want a man's love more than anything else in the world, Mm. right? Look at all the little girls doing wedding play and look at all the movies that we see. And if you look at women's magazines, they're full of tips on how to better please men Mm. in bed, in the kitchen. And if you look at this over time, it just depends what is popular at the time. But it's always about if you want to do if you want to get this, then you have to do Mm. that kind of thing. And I also think that capitalism underpins this by not valuing women unless they're in a relationship, particularly married, Mm. because that gives them status and power because of the link to a man Mm. and his position in society. Mm. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. But I can see the link for sure. Yeah, can you? Good, good. You know, and and Adrian Rich said she's like, look, it's not a natural or, or, or human instinct thing. She thinks it's imposed by culture and society. And I, I thought about this because I was like, oh, you know, there's a lot of evolutionary messages about, you know, you, you need to have relationships or pair bonds or mates so that you can make children. But really, if we look at this, it's um, basically how to keep women in their place, right? Mm. It's, it's kind of a violent political institution. Yeah. And it, it, it makes men the right to physical, economical and emotional 
uh, person in the world and it also gives them access to women in different ways. And if we look at compulsory, that that means required or obligatory, Mm. so there's no choice. And heterosexuality is the assumption that all romantic relationships are between men and women, Mm. right? And as we know today, there's all kinds of relationship configurations out there. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of like the assumption that it's the default setting. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So this is normal. I'm put, put up my inverted commas fingers, normal, mm. and everything else is not. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to other a lot of people. Mm. And it, it also keeps women in a specific place that's nice and easy to manage for men, and it keeps men more in power. Right. So she refer- Adrian Rich referenced a framework by um, Kathleen Goff. She's a social anthropologist and also a feminist. And she had, she developed this list of eight characteristics that keep men having power in society, which I thought was super interesting. Mm. Um, so one was uh, to deny women their own sexuality. So they've, they've actually destroyed uh, records, historical records of women being powerful, knowing what they want sexually, wow. uh, doing things that are different to being subservient to men. These things have been burnt, destroyed, gotten rid of. There you go, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, forcing male sexu- sexuality on women. So this is through rape, through mm. incest, torture, and a consistent message that men are better and more superior to women in society, mm. right? It's And you look at this over history, because I've, I've been just studying how uh, medicine has been developed towards women and it's so different and, mm. and having all these attitudes I'm like wow okay whoa. Mm. things we take for granted today have been really hard fought for Yeah, uh, and you know controlling women's reproduction giving them no control over the choice of how many children they have whether they can have abortions birth control that sort of thing um legislations in the court that would give men more Mm. power to take children or have control over them. Uh, Confining women, so women not being able to choose their own wardrobes, like look at the fashions over time. Yeah. Uh, And and feminine dress being the only way they're allowed to to present themselves uh, and having full economic dependence on a man, right? Mm. That really limits the life of a woman in general when you think about it. And then there's the the transactional part of things where men can actually give away women. Like they can be given away by their fathers. They can be given as gifts or hostesses by their husband. People pimp women out. And then there's the shutting down of uh, women's creativity, right? So men are men are more assimilated in society and, and it is assumed they know more about many things. Uh, so women have been historically blocked from writing, from speaking, from painting, mm. from being in medicine, from voting, basically from thinking or from expressing themselves. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Right. And then sometimes men withhold knowledge, right? So there was a huge the book that I was listening to, it's called Unwell Women. There was a huge fight about men denying women access to study medicine and to mm. help women. And for a long time any women that knew about uh, women's bodies, childbirth, that sort of thing, used to be accused of being witches and burnt at the mm. stake. Because how could they possibly know more than men do about women's <laughs> bodies? I mean really. Yeah. <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. And so so all of these things, they contribute, they're setting this framework for this compulsory heterosexuality. Is that? Yeah. It's yeah. It's basically a cultural system that compels women to channel all their erotic and romantic energies towards men, mm. right? Uh, and so if you don't have a preference towards heterosexuality, you can actually find that imposed on you mm. and and sort of beaten out of you and there's a lot of propaganda and it's it's kind of interesting. And I was thinking about this because I've been thinking quite a lot about decolonization lately mm. and what does that mean and me being a white person, how does that affect lots of things? But 
here's a thought, right? When you think about pre-contact populations mm. all around, uh, they had different gender and relationship configurations to mm. the colonizers. Um, often children were raised by the entire village and people weren't confined to one sexual partner. Interesting. Mm. So we've had a bunch of people that weren't from that country come and impose their religious and governing ideas and in that there were only two genders and one was superior mm. so here's where our comp cis het stuff comes from yeah I yeah see. I yeah see. makes sense in a way mm. i don't think we realize exactly how much and what lenses and frameworks we have goes back to these lovely people that sailed around the world putting their flags on certain <laughs> countries and saying this is a good place to live yeah yeah yeah, yeah for sure and so how how are we conditioned towards this heteronormativity, this heterosexuality and the compulsory aspect? How is that conditioned upon us? Uh, well, it's, don't, it's pretty much the only thing we see around us. Mm. It's the dominant cultural discourse. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm glad to see the queering up of things these days. You know, there's a lot more inclusivity coming, but we're certainly not at, at the level that would represent it out in the real world. But if you think that major representation in TV, um, media, religion, classrooms, families, communities, mm. it's pretty much it's that the dominant, this is the normal yeah. thing, that man, woman, romantic relationship, mm. make babies. Even legally, like it yes. makes yeah, sense to be to within fight. A, Yeah, We yeah. had to fight for um, everyone's right to mm. be married. Yeah. Um, so a lot of religion will invoke a binary model for sexuality, mm. uh, and that has a major drive towards the comp cis hat stuff because of, or they call it evolution um, and reproduction, right? So we need to have a man and a woman in order to further the species. Mm. Therefore, this is given a lot more power. Mm. But there's also been arguments that, you know, well, men are the hunters and they are superior and then you need the gatherers to sort of complement that. Uh, so pretty much all of the messages we're getting are that relationships with the opposite sex are desirable and they create value for individuals. Yeah? Totally, totally. Yeah, so it's it's very similar to heteronormativity. Yeah. With the assumption that straight is the default, mm -hmm. right? And when, yeah, we are really trained from birth. This is what I find interesting. When you look at structural oppression, it's not necessarily taught. It's just kind of observed mm. and os osmosed into the body. Yeah. yeah, I it's see. It's all around you. You're going to be, you know, you're going to be gendered in the way that you've spoken to. You're going to be told, oh, nice little girls, grow up and get mm. married, you know, and all all that sort of stuff. And if you're not one of the binary genders, this is even more mm. confusing. Like, exactly. who am I? Where do I fit? What kind of relationships am I allowed to have? And you're not taught, you don't understand how to, I guess, question these normative ideas. I these, love that. Yeah. yeah, we're not. It's built into you from the moment you're born. Mm. Uh, and then it can take a really long time mm. to dismantle that sort of thinking because it's in every fiber of your being. Mm. Yeah. Totally. And so we've discussed how this discourse around confet generally focuses on straight, straight cis women. Yeah. Um, but can straight men also be impacted by Oh my gosh, yes they can. Mm -hmm. um, lots of men don't want to be forced into taking the dominant social role. Mm. I've had so many clients over the years that are like, you know, Tans, I'd rather hang out with women. I don't want to go to work and be an alpha male. I don't want to be the boss. Mm. I don't want to behave in certain ways. You know, I prefer the company of women. Mm over men, but I'm being pressured, right? Uh, and people are pressured sexually, socially, and relationally mm. of what to do. So I've seen so many clients being like, 
I want to put on a dress on the weekend. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, my wife won't let me do that. She's mm. worried about what if the other mothers at the school find mm. out. And I'm like, how will they find out? You know, um, there's, there's, yeah, they're anxious a lot of the time and they're being told that they have to behave in masculine ways. Uh, and there's a sort of, there's a hegemonic masculinity mm. when you think about it, like a set of norms how men are expected to behave. And I'm always like, you know, we're pretty cruel to men. We give them very limited emotions. You can be happy and you can be angry pretty mm. much. And that's not helpful, right? Mm. Uh, and then that sort of hegemonic masculinity encourages men to be participate in behaviors mm. like objectification of women and sex and participating in this whole continuum of violence against women. Exactly. Right? So compulsory heterosexuality it negatively affects so many people. Mm. It affects gay and bisexual men as well by teaching them that straight is normal and there's something wrong with you mm. because mm. you are not fitting into that stereotype that you see everywhere and that people are telling you is the thing. Mm, totally. Yeah. Well, so important to question and so important to consider. Tanya, how do I know if I'm actually heterosexual or if it's compulsory heterosexuality? How would someone come to this conclusion to work it out? Yeah, this is such a, a good and a big question. I sat there considering this on the weekend and went, wow, that, wow, you know, <laughs> how does one work this out? Um, and then I was thinking about the Kinsey scale. So this was a big mm. thing when I was studying sexuality. It's a scale that, it's also called the heterosexual homosexual rating scale, right? Mm. It's often used in research to describe a person's sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. And it's based on experience or response at a given time. So that's kind of interesting because it can change, mm. right? So a scale of, it, it ranges from zero to six. So zero is exclusively heterosexual, nothing else considered. Mm -hmm. And six is exclusively homosexual, mm -hmm. nothing else considered. And when Kinsey put out reports, uh, they, made, they wrote, volumes about men, male and female sexuality. They also added an X for no sexual contact mm -hmm. or asexuality. Mm -hmm. But this scale, really, it was it was created in order to demonstrate that sexuality doesn't fit into two strict categories, homosexual and heterosexual. In fact, most people fluctuate and do things over time. Mm. Some people might only move a little bit, you mm. know, like I kissed a girl, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, other people might really swing and say, well, yep, I'm doing this now, but I could be doing that. So I really like that he was looking at behavior rather than sociocultural labels, which is, mm. you know, kind of what comp cishet is all about. Mm. Uh, so I think for many people that sexuality is fluid. Um, and it's confirmed because I look at the research about young people's sexual behavior in high schools and, and in their early 20s. And there's a huge increase in young folk engaging in same-sex mm. sexual activity uh, in their teens and early 20s. There's also a growing number of older folks leaving cis, comp, cishet uh, relationships after raising kids and forming relationships mm. with same-sex partners. I'm seeing quite a lot of it. Right. Wow. Yeah. So you there's yeah, so there's mm. things to think about. So you've got hypothetical attraction. So, you know, lots of lots of women, for example, questioning have a hard time sorting through their attraction because we've been taught that no, this is the way that you're supposed to go. So if you start to think outside of that, it's like, Oh, what? Am I is this really what I want? Or uh, I think again part of the dominant discourse is if you think that you're attracted to women, then you need to know 100% that you'll never be attracted to men no matter what in mm. order to claim that label. And I'm sort of like, why does it have to yeah. be all or nothing? 
right? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, just think about a young person who's trying to learn about themselves and there's all this what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. I'm, I don't know. At 17, I didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> Study yeah. with who I was dating, mm. none of that sort of stuff. So you might hypothetically be attracted to somebody someday. Who knows? Why do you need to know now? Mm. So maybe where are you on the scale today? Exactly. And I guess it's forever changing. Yeah. And mm. then there's kind of like there's the actual attraction. So you might uh, imagine a future where you end up with a man if you're a female, a woman, and it feels exciting, good and hopeful. And that's a nice feeling. That's reassuring. That sounds like actual attraction. Or you might have a hypothetical future where you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah I'll get married one day and I have to have kids. But I feel a bit scared about this and it's not really that comfortable. Mm. And I hope it's going to be OK. And what if it's wrong? Mm. OK, so if it's upsetting for you to think about it or it doesn't feel really solid, maybe that's compulsory mm. heterosexuality. I see. Yeah. So it's checking in with yourself, understanding your feelings and how. Yeah, how you're responding to certain situations and how you feel in that moment. Yeah, and yeah. I love how you said it's checking in with yourself because when you think about how many messages we get all day from mm. society, how tricky is it to check in with ourselves? Oh, so hard. Yeah, because yeah. we think that's what we want. We're like, wait a second, is this a message or is this how I'm actually Am I being told how this? to think? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Definitely. That's right? amazing. And this, um, the scale... Dickensian scale. scale is that yeah. available somewhere? You it's can read about this. You can Google it. There's a whole Wikipedia yep. thing on it. And There's lots of stuff. I'm so, assuming are there questions linked to that that people answer? Uh, oh then, yeah, I yeah. wonder if you can do it online. That, pretty that, much. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that you could do. I'm just aware of you know like there's quite a lot of jokes in circles like oh yeah that guy he's a hundred he's six on the Kinsey scale you know so yeah. people so people do know it but yeah. um, I think it's right, kind of good because it really does explain that we can fluctuate over mm. time and just think about it when we're young we might be running around having all sorts of experiences and then what if we get a nesting partner mm. we might decide that we're one or to other or what if we open up you know some people open up their relationships so they can play around with mm. people of the same sex or only the opposite sex you know the possibilities are endless mm. and we shouldn't we shouldn't feel too conform we shouldn't feel controlled that's it i try really stuff. hard not to put people in boxes mm. but some folks feel quite safe there yeah so it's like who is putting you in the box is mm. that you or is that religion is that the government is that your family mm. like start to think about those sorts of things if you're questioning whether it's comp, het, comp, compulsive comp het, or whether it's uh, you going, no, no, this is actually right for me. Definitely. Great. Yeah. And I guess leading on a question from that last one, how would one know if they are, say, lesbian, gay, or bisexual, or pansexual? Good question. Good question. Where's your attraction at the moment? Because it's really about who you're attracted to. And this is the thing. I think comp het normativity can make it really, really difficult to feel into this. That's what we were just saying. Because we're having to fight against everything that we've been taught, what we see and what we're told is, inverted commas, normal, right? So I think it can really take folk a while to tune into mm. themselves. And then we have things like internalized homophobia. Mm. We start to hate ourselves because we think a little bit differently. Um, so, yeah, I think it's like what, what feelings or thoughts are you having that you need to doubt because of the messages that you've grown up with? Right. Mm. Our producer Amber found a really um, interesting document called Am I a Lesbian? Master Doc. Uh, and she said it was pretty black and white. <laughs> I was like, wow. I looked at it and was like, this was going to take me like seven weeks to read the whole thing. It was wow. comprehensive. Yeah. But she pulled some really nice uh, points out of it. You know, so, so some things if you're questioning, if you think that you're same sex attracted, 
or, or queer in any way, um, maybe you think that all straight people experience attraction to the same gender at least sometimes, mm. right? Or have you had an unusually close relationship with a friend of the same gender mm -hmm. growing up that was different and special in a way that you couldn't articulate? Mm -hmm. Uh, are you ultra fascinated by queer people that you know or see in the media? You think they're ultra cool, you wish you could be like them? Are you getting emotional, having a strong reaction that you don't quite understand when you see queer love stories? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's sort of like, do you know that queer folk exist, but you couldn't possibly be one of them because, you know, really you should know by now. Mm. Uh, a lot of people are like, well, well, you should just know, but I don't think that that's the case. Mm. Um, and specifically one for women, Sometimes you think that your interest in seeing attractive women or scantily clad women or boobs is artificial because of the objectification mm. of women in the media. Mm. That's interesting, isn't it? That's really it? interesting. And I guess brings it back to the um, like the state of our world economy. Um, what's the word? I'm losing it right now. Yeah. Uh, the normalizing of normalizing. breasts being sexual. Yeah, lots of things. Yes, lots of things. I'm going to scroll back up. You said <laughs> it really early on. Oh, I just, uh, it's escaped my, my mind. It'll come but back essentially, the economy, the way our economy is set up. Um, oh, yes, capitalism. Capitalism. Yes. I can't believe I forgot that word. It's but underpinned. That's, yes, yeah, definitely. That is quite a clear example there. Yeah, well, capitalism's geared for um, opposite sex relationships. You need two people to get the mortgage, the bank account, the kids, the mm. house, the this, the that. Very underpinned by it all. Mm. Oh, for sure. Super, super interesting. Now, yeah. uh, the next question, does compulsory heteronormativity affect transgender, non-binary, gender non-conforming people differently? Oh, yeah. I mm. mean, for a start, it completely others them, right? Mm -hmm. they're, because they're outside of the social norms yeah. of you need to be like this. Um, and just, I mean, just look today at how many folks are upright, uptight and angry about using the term cisgender. All mm. we're doing there is trying to normalize a prefix before your gender so it doesn't make some folk normal and other folk not. That's all it it's is. It's not a big ask. Yeah, no. <laughs> and this is all about equality and so many people fail to see this. So mm. gender is its own thing and who you are attracted to is another thing. But, you know, if you're conflicted with your gender, how is that going to sit with you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah? And I think that there are so many assumptions about attractions when it comes to gender expansive folk that it's unfair. I think it's really up to the individual and it can also be a fluid thing. And we've discussed in previous segments that folk's sexuality can change when they more fully identify with their gender mm. or if they're taking hormones. Yeah, mm, A lot true. of people have been like, no, I've only been attracted to women and then they get some tea into their system. And they're like, oh my God, I want to get me on grinder and get some dick. And they're just <laughs> really surprised yeah. about that. So everyone is different. Let's not make assumptions because mm. this is the whole mess that we're in. For sure. Yeah. Okay. And learning about compulsory heterosexuality—sorry, uh, se sexuality can often be quite confronting for someone who has been repressing their queerness. Yeah. How would you recommend working through this? Oof, yeah. Um, this shame is such an insidious mm. thing, right? And I, whenever I think about this, I think about Audre Lorde saying, it's really not so much the oppressive situations that we seek to escape, but it's the little piece of the oppressor which is planted deep within each of us. Mm. We really need to have a look at what's happening inside us. We might be having feelings of like, I feel like I'm a little bit queer over here, but then I'm shutting it down or I'm feeling shame or I'm feeling sick. So some of the questions that we asked earlier might be useful. Mm. And allow yourself to sit with some of your thoughts, your attractions, your feelings. Try not to shut them down, mm. right? Because I think we shut ourselves down in mm. so many ways. Um, 
Yeah, I was just I was chatting to you in the break saying mm. I was out at a performance of Club Bent on the weekend at Carriageworks and it was gloriously <laughs> queer and subversive and it was an event that ran all the way through the 90s. So they just did a reprisal. And I remarked to my bestie, I said, you know, if I'd found events like this in the 90s, I reckon I would have been a completely different person today <laughs> because those are the environments that really give people permission to feel into who they are mm. as people and to subvert social norms and to create space for different thinking. Mm. So I would say if you're thinking about this, get yourself out to art, performance, talks, Definitely. Things that are outside of compact norms, you know, challenge mm. your perceptions, give yourself permission to absorb different things and see how that fits with you. Mm. And I guess that's why the art music scene is so important ah, to uphold that, so support it, push it, because, yeah, it is, in my eyes, I guess, this space that it gives that opportunity, that space, that safety, that to safe area. Yeah. To be yes. subversive, yeah. Go yeah. against the norm, go against the grain. Yeah. Oh, it's super interesting. And <laughs> last but not least... Uh, uh, following on to our last question here is how can we decondition from compulsory heterosexuality and unpack internalized homophobia slash biphobia? Oh, those big, big questions question. keep on coming today. <laughs> There's lots of big words today. I apologize for the folks with all the many syllables. Um, <laughs> I think you need to feel into what's right for you. And you mentioned it before, you know, like feeling in your body. Checking in, yeah. Yeah. Like there, there's identity and there's sexual orientation here. And there are labels that we give ourselves or that society gives us. And we may or may not fit those. And they're also not exhaustive. Mm. If you look now, I think OkCupid's okay got... 57 different forms of gender orientation that you, gender mm. and sexual orientation that you can choose. Mm. And I don't think that's everything. Mm. Um, for example, there are lesbians who have sex with men. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot of research out there at the moment because there's, it's showing that this is a population that's coming, it's increasing and mm -hmm. it's coming to the attention of health planners because it's a rapidly growing group that needs to focus on STIs and sex education. Mm -hmm. So, and I had a friend argue with me at a dinner party that mm. a lesbian who sleeps with men is bisexual and you are contributing tans to bi erasure. And I was like, ah, no, <laughs> I'm actually listening to the person mm. and their identity. If you tell me that you're a lesbian, I'm going to believe you, right? I'm mm. going to respect what you say and I don't feel the need to change that on the basis of who you may or may not be sleeping with. That's up to you, how mm. you identify and who you sleep with. And I, I've, you know, there's a category of folks called MSMs in the mm -hmm. research world, men who have sex with men, and they don't uh, identify as gay mm -hmm. or bisexual, but they do have sex with men. Mm -hmm. Again, a very important group to study because health people need to understand how do we educate these folks mm -hmm. on HIV and STI mm -hmm. prevention. So it's really, that's why we're interested. We're not interested in telling you who you can and who you can't do. So what we really want to do, it's how you identify. And if you've grown up straight acting, straight presenting, and then you depart from that, I think other people may comment, feel the right mm. to be able to comment or judge. Uh, and then there's a lot of fear about shame, stigma, people people having an opinion about mm. you, right? And because you're departing from a societal norm. So these mm. things are harmful. Who you are attracted to is up to you and it does not define you, mm. right? Remember that we've been corralled in certain ways of thinking about sex and relationships and these are the constructs that underpin so many assumptions. You know, the ones that give a small number of men a great deal of power, those mm. ones, those <laughs> assumptions that don't value women or trans or non-binary mm. folks unless they're in relationships with men. Mm -hmm. 
the ones that say that men are superior because they're stronger or they're hunters, mm. right? So we want to question that. This is how we undo it by questioning those assumptions. Mm. And it takes work to yeah, undo does. what we've been taught mm. and what we've absorbed. If you can, spend time with folks who are okay mm. with their identity and their orientation. It can show you what it's like and it can be really, really inspiring and it might reduce some of your fear. Right. So remember that nobody's got the right to tell you mm. who you can and can't sleep with, relate with or associate with. But I am aware that in many parts of the world, this is actually academic and governments can tell you and religious organizations mm. do feel the right uh, to dictate this sort of stuff. Mm. For some people, therapy is a safe place to explore their identity, their orientations, uh, how they're feeling about themselves and the people they're attracted to. Mm. So find yourself a good therapist, someone who can work with shame and stigma. Take time. I always say shop around mm. for someone like that. It's important you feel safe because, you know, there are great therapists out there and there are also folks that can shame or judge people because it's outside of their experience. So try your best to be around folks that are open and accepting. And you know what? Uh, my message always is you're totally okay as who you are. Exactly. It's important to, uh, I guess, respect also everyone around us. Yeah. Listen, be there. And maybe, maybe like you said, go to places like Club Bent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You should have seen some of the fun that was held uh, on that stage. It sounds amazing. <laughs> well, Tanya, it has been a Absolute pleasure to have you in the studio today. And you'll be back next week, same time? Two weeks. Two weeks' Two time. Weeks. My yeah. apologies. Thanks so much for having me. It was a great chat today. Yeah, it was an amazing chat. And hopefully see you around. <laughs>